Frank, 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 on the road again. How sweet is it? Ooh, it's sweet. Well, actually, I, I got detoured again. I keep getting on the road and then falling off the road, but I'll be back on the road tomorrow. It is sweet, but hot. It turns out the south part of the United States is hot. Newsflash, there's a reason I live in the north, and I'm looking forward to getting back up to the north. I believe that they're, they're closer to the equator. Oh, is that how it works? I thought the sun was closer. I don't know. I think that's because they're closer <laughs> to the equator. You no, are I don't know. I don't know how the I don't know how the you're right. Works. You're right. You're right. I'm just um, trying to make terrible jokes. It's been a it's been a good drive. It turns out I actually really like driving. I think I've said that already on this podcast, but I'll be happy to get back to my iMac Pro and a regular schedule. There you go. Yeah, I don't mind a good six, seven hour drive, eight hour drive max, but then doing that for about a week, that's quite a lot, to be honest with you. Yeah, I've been. I limit myself to six hundred miles because after that I start getting cranky. So <laughs> six hundred, and I find a hotel or something to go sleep in, which That's... has been a lot of fun during the COVID times. So I just, you know, I kind of wrap myself in a cocoon, don't touch anything, and just uh, sleep while standing up. There you go. There you go. Well, I mean, that's the fun part about the cross country road travel, right? Is that you get you can you can do that if you can afford to take the breather and and just kind of stop along the way and make it a little adventure. I think that that's fun, and I'm hope that you have the safest of travels and that uh, and that you do return to that beautiful iMac Pro. Oh yeah, I miss it. I hope it misses me. (laughs) It does definitely. It definitely does. All right, I got a topic for you this week, Frank, and it is. Squid Game. Do you know about Squid Game? Squid Game? Oh. Squid Game. Okay. Uh, you kind of have me at a loss here, so this is going to be a good interview show. James, what in the world is Squid Game? Okay. So uh, Squid Game is a Netflix show. Do you know Do you know about it now? Yeah. I, I, I believe I see a logo in my head. So this is interesting. Is it a game? Because Netflix is movies, but they did that one game. They did a game. Yeah, great question. So when I saw Squid Game uh, on Netflix and it's being promoted to everybody, I was like, oh, interesting. Um, I was like, this must be a new game show. No, it is not a game show. It is a survival drama television series out of South Korea. Okay, I I have no idea why we're talking about this, but I am here for this. I'm a Survivor lover, so please tell me it's anything like Survivor and I'm happy. Okay, so I'm just so I'm going to give some public available information here. Uh, th- so the, if you haven't watched any of, of Squid Game, there won't be spoilers about the plot. Um, however, uh, we're going to talk about the first episode, um, specifically Red Light, Green Light. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil what happens. But we're going to talk about the technology uh, behind this specific game. Okay, so here, here's the, se- the series synopsis on Wikipedia. No spoiler alert. If you watch the trailer, this is what you would see. High level, the series centers around a bunch of contestants, four or 500 contestants that are sort of drawn to this you know, game from all different um, walks of life. They're all kind of deeply in debt, and they are set to play a set of children's game with deadly penalties for losing, basically. Okay, think of it as... A cross between Hunger Games, <laughs> Deadliest Game, and Survivor, right? Except for, yeah, it, like Hunger Games, people die, right? So like same thing. So like, yeah, there's death was, uh, as a penalty. I was worried you were going to say it's like Saw, but these are people playing children's games, and death is a penalty. That's terrible. What are we? That doing? is 
That is correct. So it's not it, it's it's intense uh, and it's very good, but it's also sad and emotional because it's drama and you think about yourself. But let me set up the first game here. The first game is actually what you see all the time on Netflix. You see this huge uh, like ceramic doll and then you see all these people behind the doll and it's kind of like a, a bloodied mess at this point. But you, that's, this is what you would see if you go into Netflix and it's the big bl- banner. And what they have to do is they're told that they have, um, they're playing red light, green light. If you, you know, red light, green light. Mm, I feel like I used to probably when I was four years old. What are the rules? Okay. It's very simple. So they even say at the game is when the person who's in charge of red light, green light, um, is not looking. So they have the back to you. That's green light and you can run. If they turn okay. around, they scream red light, and then you have to stop. And if you move, then you're out of the game. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I was six. Okay. Yes. Got it. Yes. Children's game. Six years old. You were in we're in the mind space, right? You're in, you're out there, you're over there, you're going. It's it's great. And you're playing in the field and red light, green light. You get caught, you're out of the game, you move off to the side, now you gotta go sit in the corner. Just like, you know, in dodgeball, if you get hit, you got to go sit off, right? So red light, green light. So here's the technology that I want to talk about here. In If you're playing red light, green light in real life, Frank, there is no technology, right? You are, there's like a person that would be the gatekeeper of, did that person move? Yeah, we could call them a semaphore to turn this into computer science, but yeah. That is correct. They're the semaphore, yes. Um, per- perfect. I like how you bring this back. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying here. I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. So 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 that would be the in- distinguishing part of it is and there's also a truth system to that to that game as well, right? Because at this point um you know, if if you move, if someone sees you move, they'll call you out on it or or you yourself, if you fall over, you're going to pick yourself up and move. Now, in in Squid Game though, which is a fantastic series so far, very intense. Uh we're we're not even done yet. So I don't even know the conclusion. So in this red light, green light, they have, I think it's five minutes to get from the start, cross the finish line, and basically think of it as a huge robot, okay? There's a huge robot who is the uh, semaphore in this case, who's, who's basically turning around and flipping around. So the, the robot head is away from you, and it's green light, and you move. And then it turns around its head, red light, and you got to stop, okay? Now... At this point, right, since it is the squid game and they're in this really intense elimination match, if somebody moves, they get shot and they die. They're sniper rifles. That right? This is, is sad. Happening. Okay. Okay. So it's intense, right? So this is what's is happening. Is the robot doing the shooting? Don't, no. don't give robots a bad reputation here. Robot is not doing the shooting. But here is the thing about the robot that I want to talk about today. In the robot... Its eyes are motion detectors, Frank. Oh. It's like a huge IoT robot. Okay. And this big robot is scanning the room for for all sorts of different motion, for basically motion, right? For any type Mm -hmm. of motion that's going on. And what I want to talk about today is the accuracy of this potential huge robot that has people's lives in its hands, right? So it's scanning the room and it's going crazy. It's looking for motion and it's pinpointing people, right? So it has to not only de- detect and find 
the person of the movement, but it has to be able to read the number of them to understand, uh-huh. hey, number 400 or 300 or whatever is going on. Now, you haven't seen this at all, but are you picturing this in your mind? I suppose so. I still don't know what shape to give this robot, so I'm giving it like a really 1950s kind of sci-fi look. It's a really cute like tin robot with scanners all over it. But you do have me thinking already, of course, I'm thinking lasers, like connect style lasers. I'm thinking basic AI. I'm thinking you just diff some frames. I'm thinking what do the what happens when the humans cover their numbers? Because humans are great at defeating stupid AIs. So where are we going with this? All of that. I'm going to send you a link here. (laughs) This is a photo of the robot, um, which is a big life-size, like, little schoolgirl, basically. Well, that's Um, freakish. You just had to ruin it. My robot was way cuter. Everyone, if I could describe this, think of a creepy 1950s doll, not 1950s robot, 1950s doll, in a cute dress with a, a, a deadly, deadly staring face looking yes. at you. And it's way too big for a doll. It's it's ginormous, right? It's, it's ginormous, yes. So she's standing there. She has to scan the room. Motion detection. Well, you've done a lot in the space of motion detection, people detection, all these different things that are in it, right? We have all these mm-hmm. things, right? I, I have like smart cameras and they know if an animal moved or a human moved or, or anything moved, but it's not 100% accurate. Like the actual... There's a threshold there. So what I want to talk about is what kind of tech in today's world is doing motion detection and how accurate is that thing? Oh, okay. So do you want to talk about like consumer tech or state of the art? Because I think that there's quite a gulf between them. I have a friend who loves buying surveillance cameras. And so I get to see a lot of the funny different softwares out there. And it's surprising that most of the image detection software I see out there is kind of stuck at 2014 levels of sophistication, but uh, that does not mean the state of the art is still stuck at 2014. So it's interesting to see this stuff distributed. Uh, What do you think this show is? Do you think they're using high-tech stuff or do you think they're using consumer grade? Well, I have to imagine. So what we see from the 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 visuals in the episode is you do get to see the inside of the computer right you they do the first person view outside of the computers or outside of the robots eyes and you see her again because in in the game in the game right she's she's this little school doll so so it the robot you see her scanning constantly like her eyes are moving and it's scanning (laughs) up and down and doing all this stuff And uh, it looks like it's scanning with both eyeballs. So both of them would have two independent cameras in it. And I have to imagine that they have to be really high definition uh, and see really far, right? I'm I'm thinking, you know, those little $30 cameras that you buy in your house, the motion detection, especially at, at night, this is during the day, but it's only for so far into the distance sometimes that it can do it or detect a full mo- a full movement, for example, of, yeah. of, a, of an entity of a box, basically. And it's drawing these boxes around and it's looking at different heat maps. So the first question would really be, at this level, they have to be extremely high-end video cameras to be able to see this huge field, right? They're running for a long time across this field. Maybe it's a football field, let's say. Maybe half a football mm-hmm. field, half a football field, let's say. That's still a long distance to 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 analyze and see 
the numbers and see the human beings on the field. Yes, yes. Uh, so a few comments on that. Number one, the two eyes moving in sequence, that could just be for dramatic effect, because certainly mm-hmm. we expect the eyes to move. There's nothing saying that you necessarily need um, stereoscopic vision for this problem. Depth is nice, but it's not always required, uh, even if you're tracking people in a field. But the big benefit here is that this ghastly doll <laughs> is giant. <laughs> this I don't want to call it a robot because it's an evil robot. Yes. But uh, you could put like a full frame camera in each eye. You could put a gorgeous camera with a really nice lens. So y- you want to catch a large play field. You figure out how big that play field is, how tall this robot is. And you can probably buy the exact right lens <laughs> for the exact sensor on the cameras that you bought. Uh, this show looks like it has high production quality, so I'm sure that's probably the route they went. They probably just have some beautiful Canon cameras for the eyes. So, so yeah. So, okay. So it has really super big, you know, cameras in there, which makes sense because it is big. So, you know, when we think about those little cameras, they're, they're, they're tiny sensors, right? So the image quality coming off that is relatively low to, to yeah. read you know, you're buying a camera for 20 bucks. You're not going to be able to probably read a hundred percent text from far away. Right. And the, the numbers on the numbers on people's, um, shirts or jackets are, are relatively small. So it's not like they have like these yeah. huge numbers everywhere. Well, and importantly for that are things like motion blur, because the way a camera works, if you have a rolling shutter, I think that's what it's called. I'm terrible at camera terms. <laughs> but that means that they're sampling uh, the buffer over time. And so the buffer doesn't capture an instant in time. And you can get like bendy effects if something is rotating or if the the number is rotating on their clothing, things like that. Clothing is always a bear in these kinds of problems. Or uh, the bigger issues are also exposure times. So all the tricks that an iPhone has to do, you know, you take a picture on an iPhone, it takes nine pictures at (laughs) nine different uh, exposure levels, and then does crazy math to integrate all those into the picture that you finally get in the end. Deep fusion, I think they like to call it. So necessarily they're going to have to do something like that. The interesting part of this, and I don't want to skip ahead, but if you are actually going to analyze this, it almost doesn't matter if you have the highest quality camera with the most megapixels on the whole planet with super resolution, if your neural networks and things like that can't process that amount of data. So the optics are a tricky thing, but they're almost easy. You get a decent camera that does a full frame capture. You take a few exposures, you do a little bit of integration. That's kind of easy, but feeding it into the algorithm can be hard. So, okay, two things I want to hit on. First, let's go back just a little bit, which is the eye movement, right? So there's no, none of my cameras move in my house or anything like that. <laughs> and as long as they can see something, they would be able to see it. So if this this thing can already see the whole play field, there's really no reason for it to be moving its eyeballs besides dramatic effect, right? Yeah, yeah. If it actually had to move its cameras, then you can have the humans have another advantage. The humans can distract it while they run a flanking maneuver or something like that. So it's just curious. It's almost a game rules. Can the robot see the whole field at the same time? Mm. I'm curious what it actually can do. Uh, When they visualize it on the screen, do they show the entire field or do they just show like zoom in and enhance? 
it looks like it's like zooming in and enhancing on different parts of movement. And that's why it's moving its eyes because it's like it's move it's like zooming in and then focusing in on on each individual to basically try to pinpoint them. Do people ever win against this robot? Um, okay, I don't want to spoiler alert it. Right, uh, right. Sorry, the, sorry, no spoilers. Yeah. No so, spoilers. No, so no spoiler alerts <laughs> um, in it. But, you know, if you follow the rules, you're there. So but let's get back to that, right? Because this is the first game and there's 456 individuals. So let's talk about that algorithm of processing it because, you know, when, when, it, when my little camera detects me that's sitting there, because I accidentally forget to turn it off, it detects a person or maybe two people, but it's not processing 456, you know, things on the screen. And let's say there's a bunch of movement. What does that load like on, on a system, right? Because it has to be analyzing every single frame. Can it just look at a frame and there's 456 objects and can it in that frame be able to map and do all of that in real time? You know what I mean? Like that seems yeah. complicated. Uh, in fact, there are no networks that do this. Um, I, 450 sounds like a big number, so I don't want, don't hold me to the, whether they can actually do that quantity because what I think they're doing is probably different, but uh, I'll talk about this first. Uh, it turns out if you try to tell a neural network to just find one person in a picture and there happens to be another person's arm in the picture or something, they're going to have to learn that people come in different forms and sometimes they're obstructed and things like that. And so it's actually more natural for the neural networks to learn multi-person things. And so instead of like taking an image and doing bounding boxes around objects like in the Terminator, what you actually do is for every pixel say, what is the probability of being this object or that object? Mm. And in that way, it almost doesn't matter how many people are in the scene because you're just labeling pixels. You're not labeling bounding boxes or anything like that. So as long as it's in the screen, it's there. That said, that's probably not the technique they're using, because even once you get that blob, uh, you still have to do it with some kind of secondary analysis. And in that analysis, I mean, granted, this is a huge robot thing, so they could be putting <laughs> supercomputers inside of it. But let's say it is highly technical. It, it doesn't seem like it's military grade stuff, but like, is it? feasible that that a system like this could exist to process yeah. that data 100 percent, no hmm. problem you get yourself those high resolution cameras and the neat thing is you can process the frames of those cameras in parallel by breaking the frame up into different chunks or different tiles so put a grid over the frame and make that grid as many computers as you're willing to spare. <laughs> so it really comes down to computational power. And you identify all the objects in just that little grid square instead of in the entire image. And you can keep doing that, keep doing that. The theoretical limit is, you know, down to one pixel. Just identify the object in that one pixel. So you can subdivide the problem. That's what's kind of really nice about uh, real-time imagery. Most of these algorithms, if you tried to run that on your iPhone, you're, we're, we're not talking. We have to also talk about what's real-time and what's not real-time. But yeah. um, an iPhone could run that at 5 or 10 uh, uh, frames per second. Who knows? Is the show running at five or 10 frames a second? Is it running at 30 frames per second? But either way, you can keep subdividing the problem. There is a last integration step. Obviously, you have to take the results of all those sub-analyses and feed them in. 
but I feel like that's going to happen anyway, because you're going to throw out all the grid tiles that haven't changed Mm. or that the algorithm decides, oh, the wind is just blowing. That's just the wheat in the field blowing or something like that. So first you run it through an algorithm of are there humans in this grid tile? (laughs) And if so, then you pass a higher resolution version of that grid tile up to another process. Then you try to identify the individuals in that frame and then pass that all up to a final integration process. This is all, yeah, very doable with today's technology. Got it. It's kind of kind of kind of cool to hear you step through the process of of building a, you know, if we were to build a red light, green light analyzer, right? <laughs> uh you know, friendly version of it. Yes. Uh, that's what you would want to do. Is 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 feasibly there's there's a, a bunch of people like moving through a field and doing that. And and that becomes the other point of, of reference that I wanted to talk about is the the p- potential error, right? And you talked about, is it wind moving? Is it a, bl- a blades of grass? Is it a, a dust coming? Or what mm-hmm. if someone's behind somebody and moves their arm, right? How yes. do you detect that in this, you know, in this scenario? And is that something that actually can be accomplished? If you and I are moving in parallel and I move my hand behind you, is is the computer, like a physical person could detect that, but could a computer, which is what the show set up, analyzing these things was doing? Yes. Yes, it can. <laughs> and I'm so excited because this is actually a semi-recent development. So we're talking state of the art here in 2021. But uh, those kind of look for the human in the image algorithms, they worked with images, uh, flat 2D representations, and we're doing kind of pixel labeling or bounding box labeling, kind of as I was describing earlier. But when it came down to what's called human segmentation, so you want to identify the hands, the arms, the shoulders, the torso, the hips, you want the whole human, you want to know individual parts. Uh, the algorithms would generate some real grotesque beings, <laughs> you know, things that aren't quite human, because as you said, if an arm is behind another person, it just has a hard time figuring out exactly, pr- projecting, it's having a hard time using its imagination of where that arm could be. Hmm. So what's been done, what the actual state of the art is, is looking at that 2D image try to fit three-dimensional human-shaped models into that image with the constraint that it has to be humanoid. (laughs) It has to have joints where humans have joints. It has to have uh, rough proportions that are within limits of a human. And the algorithms, instead of identifying pixels or identifying bounding boxes, it's taking this kind of dummy human, (laughs) template human, and just kind of morphing it around to fit it into the picture. And it'll do that for multiple humans. And once you have that, then you can start, it's naturally solving the, uh, it's called the penetration problem. (laughs) It's a terrible phrasing, but it's the occlusion problem of someone's behind something. Or just think about someone twisting their arms all around. Mm. Humans can get themselves into funny shapes, it turns out. And so the best way to do that is to take this three-dimensional model. It's even an anatomic model because it knows the limits on all the joints, the standard limits. (laughs) Of course, people are crazy and they change their limits, but uh, and it'll try to fit that to the picture. So the modern stuff actually can. Uh, Obviously, it can't tell you what color is their clothing if it's obscured, but it can say with 98% probability that arm is there behind that other person. 
Wow. Okay. So that is um, a great sort of analysis because as I'm hearing you feed it in, it sort of makes a lot of sense, right? Because you're you talked about like a three dimensional model. So so really, it's these cameras have that depth depth of field is really what it would be looking at then, correct? Well, right. So that is almost a whole separate question. These 3D models are used just to make sure that the results make logical sense. Mm. They're making sure that we don't get like three-armed humans or, you know, two-headed humans or just things that are not probable. Um, There is the whole question of if it has actually two cameras, it could technically be doing stereoscopic vision and actually creating a depth map of the field. The benefit of the depth map is you can measure distances between objects or a goal or something like that. It's uh, you are creating a Cartesian plane. You're saying this object has this X, Y, Z coordinate, and you are actually putting them into three-dimensional space. It's debatable whether you actually need that for this kind of problem. I haven't seen the show, so I don't know what kind of problems arise. But I'll say even for my robots, I'm starting to look into three-dimensional stuff instead of just 2D because, you know, it's there. It's good data. It's doable. The math is somewhat known at this point. So they could definitely be creating depth maps. Whether they're useful or not, eh, I don't know. I'd have to see the show. Yeah, I, I don't think they got as, uh, that deep of... I wish you could find a, cl- a clip of it. I mean, you can watch the first episode. I mean... I think that all happens in the first episode. So it gets pretty intense pretty quick. The The thing about the show is that it is obviously violent and bloody, <laughs> but it's not gruesome. So it's not to the Saw extent. I mean, Saw 1 and 2 were kind of like, you know, fine. Um, but like Saw 3 and 4, 5, 7, 8,000, like they all just got super <laughs> way into I stopped watching them. It was too much for me. Um, I was younger in, in the day. I guess I had a higher, higher um, tolerance for that stuff, but I don't anymore. But there, there's a great story back end here that that's really in, in depth. It kind of reminds me of you know Parasite the movie. Did you watch Parasite the movie? Okay, I feel embarrassed because I think Parasite is right up my league, but I yes. haven't seen it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, you got a, you got a little bit of research to do on your road trip. To oh watch yeah. Some shows. So, all right. So it sounds like so far what I'm hearing from you is that the technology in this show is reasonable. There are some potential um, things that they're doing just for cinematic effects, like moving the eyes just to to do some stuff. Not necessarily, you could be helpful, but not necessarily yeah. uh, needed. Well, we, we've left off one part. Um, once you do object recognition, object tracking is kind of a whole separate thing. What mm. you're trying to establish is what is the movement of an object over time. And that's not exactly predicting a human. Humans are unpredictable. They can do whatever they want anytime. But it's just more like if you're rolling down a hill or if you're running at a decent clip, chances are you're going to keep going in the same direction. And so you can do predictive analysis, things like that. But it also solves, it also helps solve the occlusion problem of if the object disappears for a second and then reappears, is that a new object or is it the same object that disappeared for a second? Uh, that can get into philosophy too. But um, it's a hard problem, object tracking, uh, which is separate from object detection. So that's a whole different level that I don't think people give quite enough credit to. Uh, if you don't do that, then you get those jumpy systems where people can pop in and out of existence. And that's bad. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, and you and that that is something to talk about because as this robot turns around, it's just its head that turns around. By the way, even creepier. Um, <laughs> but it 
analyzes the field and it has to take a snapshot and then analyze that motion. And I really couldn't figure out what the threshold of movement to detect movement is, right? Because as humans, I mean, I can stand pretty still, but is it blinking? Is it <laughs> is it is it a pixel? What is a pixel? How how granular is that? Especially when these cameras are so good, you know, what is the tuning of that system to detect actual motion and movement? Well, I'll tell you, consumer grade stuff is terrible. Mm. <laughs> I, I was just looking at some cameras that do all this object tracking and everything, and their false positive rate is terrible, especially if a, a spider decides to climb on the lens or something <laughs> like that. Um, it's, I, it's one of those problems that it's really easy to give an eighty percent solution to, and it's really hard, nearly impossible to give a ninety nine percent or a hundred percent solution to. So these cameras that you know are detecting is someone walking by your house are they nefarious or not you know are they going to come bash in your door or is it just someone walking a dog and in that case maybe you don't want to turn all the spotlights on and blind them in their eyes mm. but as it is you know that threshold for movement that's almost like gosh i hope none of these things even work that way mm. <laughs> that should not be how they work they should be yeah. recognizing what is the object and what is the intent of that object given its motions that's how these systems should work and so does it actually work that way this is a netflix production this could all be smoke and mirrors it could be a bunch of poor interns back there looking at a thousand camera feeds and trying to, <laughs> to target them or something like that. But uh, chances are, if they actually got this thing working and in production, then they would be using technology from just a couple years ago or three years ago. Nothing uh, too old, nothing state of the art. So I'm almost think they probably already doing. I've just talked myself all the way around in a giant circle to back to, you're probably right. They are probably just thresholding everything. <laughs> yeah. And there's got to be a certain threshold that that's there for, because that's the complicated part is, is if you watch through it, there's, there's questionable moments where you're like uh, trying to understand what that threshold is in the episode. And I'm like, okay, well, what is the movement threshold? Because is it, you know, like I said, is it blinking? Is that movement? Yeah. Right. Pixels have changed on the screen. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, pixels, you blink your eyes, pixels have changed. Is it a pixel change? Is it a pixels have changed so much? And, and yeah. And, and is the, or is the, did the bounding box move? You know what I mean? That's what, what is well, the, if, that if they do it that fancy way where you're actually registering 3d models to it, then you can simply say, do the hips move, did mm. a hand move. Yeah. You don't even have to zero in on the eyes because nah, you know, that's just more pixels to deal with. You can just give it more general parameters of has the mannequin shifted at all. Hmm. There you go. That's Squid how game. I would do it. Well, it, you know, if this actually is um, a computer running all that stuff, then hats off to the engineers. Also <laughs> creepy 1984 vibes, but mostly hats off to the engineers because it's easy for me to sit back here and say, oh, this is state of the art. This isn't state of the art. But getting a functioning system working <laughs> at all like this stuff is really difficult. And so good for them. Yeah, it's because, you know, my the cameras that you buy, these little consumer ones, even the ones that have the little Eufy cameras, they're during the day, they do their best to detect human motion and report back. But at night, as soon as 
dust hits, it's like just anything that moves. We I always report everything. <laughs> we, we don't we don't know, right? Because the threshold level of them being able to analyze it is is just too too low. They just there's anything any movement we're in. You know what I mean? And that's car movement. That's deer movement. That's human movement. Or sometimes that's just uh, yeah, spider moving over the camera. There's like bop 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 right. <laughs> Uh, kind of, kind of funny to think about. Yeah. You know, I, we, we haven't really done a diagnostics of shows or movies that are supposed to be set in present day and break down the tech. And we've talked around a lot around AI and different things like that. And it's, it's kind of fun as I was watching this to be like, is, is this actually real? Is this real? Right. Because we've talked about machine learning models and tracking cars and, te- you know, Tesla and, and what's next for, so for driverless vehicles. And that's all motion and mapping detection. And that stuff is real. I mean, there's cars that are going to be driving around, right. That, that do this stuff. But I was trying to think about in the real world of, okay, like how long is that taking them to come up with that? And if this is real <laughs> world to be able to detect this, is this even something humanly possible? Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of fun to talk about through through technology, even though it's a it's a it's an odd one because the show is relatively gruesome and like not, you know, <laughs> uh, not a not a great thing for all things. But if everyone's watching the show, definitely let us know right at MergeConflict.fm and um, let me know what you think of, of Squid Game. If you want more Squid Game <laughs> analysis, the other games that I've seen so far have not been tech related at all. Oh. So in this regard, I thought this would be kind of a just a, a fun, silly episode to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. And I, I love sci-fi, so I, I'm totally here for at least for that episode. I'll let you tell me if I should watch any more episodes. But yeah, uh, I, I just want to say that if you're at all interested in the subject and want to see a fun technical deep dive for an actual real system, Tesla in their, I don't know what they called it, Tesla Day, it was like a month or two ago, they did a real nice technical deep dive on how they do uh, all their map generation and high level how they do their navigation with their automobiles. But it's real nice to see a practical system built and they actually talk about all the troubles they had, integrating all the data, doing things at different resolutions, building a cohesive map, making sure that it agreed with reality, all those important things that, you know, it, you don't you can ignore those for a neat tech demo, but when it comes to working in the real world are really important. So I recommend the Tesla tech day thing. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to go watch that. That sounds really cool actually. Yeah, it's super I mean, I don't know why Elon allowed it. They gave away a lot of nerdy stuff. But I guess they must have decided that the whole industry has at least roughly caught up with them. So it was okay to talk about it. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good game. Um, yeah, I'm so far liking it. Um, it's good. It's intense. That's it's good. I, good I, intense. I get nervous when you keep saying the it's intense. I, I, I love horror films, but at the same time, I get a little bored from horror films. Mm. And so this is not sounding like a horror film. No. So I'm curious how it's going to feel when I actually watch it. So maybe, maybe we'll do some follow up. Yeah, I'll do some follow up. It's good. It's good so far. Yeah. I, I, yeah, so far I'm enjoying it because there is a lot of story. You're starting to get, you know, you know, connected to some of these characters. And again, we'll just see how, how, uh, how well it does. And it's all dubbed, right? So it's all in Korean. So it, you know, we got to want to read some words on, on the screen and really pay mm-hmm. attention. So, but it, it's good. Um, 
yeah, anyways, if people enjoyed this sort of analysis, let us know because, uh, you know, Frank and I are nerds uh, and oh, yeah. we love analyzing technology. Uh, I think, you know, one of my early things in technology that I always thought about and we've talked about is Iron Man, right? And uh, <laughs> and just everything that's happening only in the suit, but also just in his physical space and his world that he's created. Uh, and I know that's one of uh, Frank's hot topics. So if you're ever interested, give us your recommendations of is that tech really possible or when will it be right into the show at mergeconflict.fm. There's a contact button or hit us up on Twitter. Well, that's going to do it for this squid game. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.